This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the founder of Healthcare Voices, but I'm also a former patient because I'm a cancer survivor. And on this show, we answer your questions about healthcare and health insurance in America. And also, we tackle larger topics like what is going on with the Congress and the bill they just passed on the default. Uh, so, first, Let's answer your questions from last week. Uh, this one came in from text. Uh, some Medicare supplement plans give drug coverage. I have a separate plan that does not give reasonable prices. How can I find a supplement plan that covers drugs too? Uh, to answer that, welcome Diane Archer from Just Care and Social Security Works. Hi there. Okay, so thanks for the question. It's a really important one. And the answer is multi-pronged, as is often the answer with Medicare. Uh, the reality is that in the individual market, if you're buying insurance to supplement Medicare, to supplement your traditional Medicare coverage, to fill gaps in Medicare, and that insurance is sometimes called Medigap insurance, you do not ever get coverage for your prescription drugs. That Medigap coverage only covers the costs that Medicare doesn't pay for itself. So your coinsurance and your deductibles. And some of those Medigap plans cover more or less of your coins, but that's about the best you get from a Medigap plan. If you have supplemental coverage from an employer who's super generous, um, then you could get your prescription drugs as part of your prescription, as part of your supplement. But that's only if your employer offers that. And then if you have traditional Medicare and you want prescription drug coverage, you can buy what's called Part D prescription drug coverage in the individual market. And you'll have a choice of many different plans. And what you'll find is each one covers different drugs at different amounts to you. And that sometimes even the coverage that's offered through those plans is not as good as getting your drugs through another email source or Costco. So unfortunately, with drug coverage, uh, you need to be shopping around even when you think you have insurance to pay for those drugs, because often the copay from the insurance you have is higher than the cost that you will pay for the drugs if you use a mail order outlet or if you um, if you buy your drugs at Costco or some other low cost uh, place pharmacy. Um, you can also, if you choose, but there are a lot of trade-offs here, get your prescription drug coverage in a Medicare Advantage plan. But when you do that, you give up a lot of access to doctors and you have less control over whether your care will be covered because the Medicare Advantage plans make their own decisions about what's medically reasonable and necessary and don't often defer to the treating physician or in many cases do not. And so it's just easier if you're able to afford traditional Medicare and have supplemental coverage in Part D to get your prescription drug coverage 
through traditional Medicare with Part D. Thanks, Diane. Our next question is from uh, Ronnie, uh, who uh, wonders, don't you practically have to have no assets to qualify for Medicaid? Uh, and to answer that, welcome Alika from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. It's a really good question, and it kind of depends on which pathway um, through which you qualify. Um, most people on Medicaid today qualify under categories um, of eligibility that use what's called modified adjusted gross income rules. Um, and those rules don't actually look at your assets. They're looking at your monthly income. So categories um, like, for example, if you are um, pregnant, uh, if you are a child or a parent, um, or if you're in a state that expanded Medicaid and you're a low-income adult who makes um, under uh, about, it's a 138% of the federal poverty level, um, those, uh, in those cases, um, they're not going to look at your assets. Um, where that tends to come into play is categories like if you're, if you're qualifying for Medicaid and Medicare um, uh, due to age or disability. Thank you, Alika. And uh, let's see, our next question. Um, uh, did you want to add anything to that, Diane? To, um, with, if you're qualifying for Medicaid um, at the same time that you have Medicare, um, even if your assets are above the qualifying level, you're able to spend down assets and income as well to get to that qualifying level. So if you have healthcare costs specific that you need to, to pay, if you pay enough in healthcare costs to bring down your income and your assets or income or your assets, you could meet Medicaid eligibility requirements in many, many states. The other thing I wanna add is that your home, which is obviously in many cases a, your biggest asset is excluded, I think in almost every instance um, from your asset um, calculation by Medicaid, as is one car. So you can actually have more assets than um, you might believe to qualify for Medicaid. Thank you, Diane. And our next question, also from Ronnie. Uh, I turned 65 in May of 2024, uh, so that's next year. When will my Medicare start? I have health insurance now through the Affordable Care Act. Diane? Good question. So you need to be on top of your Medicare coverage. Uh, if you have coverage through a state health insurance exchange plan, that coverage will end uh, when you turn 65. So you want to make sure that your Medicare coverage begins on May 1st so that you don't have any gap in coverage. And to do that, it's actually pretty easy. You're allowed to apply for Medicaid, for Medicare, I should say, um, in February, March, and April uh, before your May birthday. And so long as you apply in one of those three months, and I would say the sooner the better, if you can do it in February, terrific, your Medicare coverage will begin on May 1 of your birthday, your birthday month, the first day of your birthday month. If you wait to apply until your birthday month, then your coverage won't begin until June. And even though you're allowed to apply for Medicare uh, initially in June, July, and August, the three months after your birthday month, you'll have even further delays in your coverage. And that means further gaps. So you really don't want it. Thank you, Diane. And next, 
If you have Medicaid for health insurance now, what should you be on the lookout for from your state? And what do you do if you find out that you no longer qualify for Medicaid for your health insurance? Alica? Thanks, Laura. This is a very, very common scenario that many people are going through right now because for um, the last few years under the um, COVID public health emergency, states were not allowed to um, reassess whether people were eligible for Medicaid. So right now what's going on is states are doing lots of outreach to people enrolled um, asking them um, to update their contact information to make sure that, um, you know, you can actually reach to go through that re, um, redetermination process. So if you haven't already done that with your state and you're enrolled in Medicaid, um, contact your state agency, make sure that your um, contact information is up to date so they can reach you with any notices they need to. Um, if you get any uh, information from them asking you to submit uh, information, for example, about your income, um, to check if you're still eligible, uh, make sure you're doing that uh, in a timely manner. And if you end up getting a notice from them saying that you are no longer eligible, um, it's important to note, you don't have to wait for healthcare.gov or your state exchange to reach out to you. You can just go straight um, there or, you know, again, work with a trusted local um, navigator or, bro or broker um, to actually just go ahead and apply for coverage. That'll really make sure that you're minimizing those gaps in coverage and, and staying uh, on your health insurance uh, without uh, any delay. Thanks, Alica. And our next question is from Daryl, who asks, if I'm getting Social Security in a military pension, uh, can I get SSDI for spinal problems as I had to move to Las Vegas from Chicago for treatment? I have extreme pain and can't work. Uh, sorry to hear that, Daryl. Uh, and Diane, do you have thoughts? Yes. Uh, and it's it's a little bit complicated, but my first thought is you're probably, you probably want to go into the Social Security office and talk this through you are not able to have both social security benefits and social security disability. So once you're eligible for social security benefits, you're no longer eligible for social security disability. You are, however, able to have supplemental security income through social security, and that's SSI, at the same time that you are receiving social security disability income. So then the question becomes, um, are you eligible for the SSI as well as the SSDI? And the answer to that question depends on what your quote unquote countable income is according to the Social Security Administration. But if it's more than $914 a month um, for an individual or $1,371 a month for a couple, then you will not qualify uh, for SSI. Um, but if it's less than that, then you may be able to get some SSI benefit up to that total amount. I hope that's helpful. It is kind of confusing as everything in this area always seems to be, but always best to go to your social security office and talk it through. With Thank you, Diane. And speaking of these important benefits, uh, there has been news out of Washington, D.C. that you should hear about. Uh, now I'd like to welcome Nicole from Caring Across Generations to talk about the bill that the U.S. House just passed and what uh, these cuts could mean to our health care. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks so much, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Nicole Jorwick. I am the Chief of Advocacy and Campaigns at Caring Across Generations. 
we work to change cultural norms, systems, and policy that impact those who need care, which is really all of us, um, care workers, as well as family care. I'm also a family caregiver myself to my brother, Chris, who has autism and relies on Medicaid every day, and my grandma, who has Parkinson's. So this issue is personal and professional to me. And uh, I'm frankly pretty upset that we have to be uh, to talk again about uh, the continuation of one party continuing to go to the Medicaid program to gut it, to pay for things that help uh, wealthy and corporations while harming people that that I love and systems that they rely on, including Medicaid. First, um, let me explain a little bit more about Medicaid because I think it's an important grounding. Uh, it is complicated. I was listening in. It is very complicated. It is also the nation's um, public health insurance program for people with low income, and it covers one in four people, including many with complex and costly needs for care. Um, for example, it covers, uh, it's the main funder when it comes to long-term services and supports for older adults and, and people with disabilities. Medicare does not cover long-term services and supports outside of a very small home health benefit or short-term rehabilitation stay. And so Medicaid, part of why it's so detrimental, what we're seeing with these cuts um, is that uh, they would impact first those services that so many rely on. Medicaid finances nearly a fifth of all personal health care spending in the country, providing significant financing for hospitals, rural, rural health centers, community health centers, physicians, nursing homes, and jobs, obviously, in the sector. There is a bill, as Laura referenced, um, the Live, Grow, Save bill, and I need to use air quotes for folks that can't see me doing it, that passed the House late last week. And what it would do, among many other things that would be harmful to healthcare overall is that it would cut the Medicaid program by $110 billion at least. We're still waiting for the full score. Um, and it, it would do that by imposing something that it's really a solution in search of a problem, a work requirement on Medicaid. So it would take Medicaid away from people who did not meet um, a, a work requirement, which is really confusing because 70% of people that are currently on Medicaid are working. And it's really, we know, it's also not a politically popular thing to do. Um, at Caring Across, we, uh, we partnered with Heart Research to do um, some polling. And we found that, um, first of all, what it would do is that it would take, uh, take health care away from many people, including many people with disabilities, including many family caregivers. And it would hurt older adults, um, including folks that are 50 to 65. There's some really um, draconian uh, um, uh, exceptions in, in the work requirement that includes things like being declared incompetent by a doctor in order to get out of it and just adding layers of, of bureaucracy and paperwork that states don't want to deal with and that people certainly don't. Um, but again, we know that these are not politically popular ideas. We know that by 58% to 42%, voters oppose a proposal that would take Medicaid away from people who do not meet these work requirements. And we also know that voters are more concerned that many people in poor health or who have a disability could lose their health care, that's the 58%, than people abusing this. The work requirements are, are unpopular and will slash the federal investment in Medicaid. And states won't pick up the tab. We know that states are actually desperate for funds to build Medicaid, particularly Medicaid home and community-based service. Those are things like home care, job coaching. 
When the American Rescue Plan Act passed, it included a 10% increase in federal funds to support access to those services. In every single state, red or blue, took that money up. Now Republicans don't want to add money, but to take it away. Again, at least 110, 110 billion. And with cuts that big, states will have no choice but to cut optional programs. And optional programs include home and community-based services. I already talked about how Medicaid is the main funder when it comes to these services. So in a time when, when there's a workforce crisis, when we're already struggling to, to, to fulfill the need for these services, this huge and far-reaching program, the Medicaid program, is going to be gutted. It's even more confusing as to why they continue to go after this program, because in addition to doing polling on work requirements, we looked at the popularity of the program overall. And the proposed um, Republican cuts would risk healthcare coverage for 8 million seniors, cut coverage for more than 3 million children of active military members and veterans, as well as children of low-income families, and threaten health coverage for people with severe mental and, and physical disability. The survey findings that we did in our polling found that 84% of voters think that Congress should place a higher priority on protecting Medicaid for harmful cuts and would reduce that would reduce access to care, while only 16% would think, think that cutting it should be a priority. So if 84% of the country thinks that you should be protecting it, and even more, and 93% of folks think that we should be expanding it, then why is this something that keeps coming back as, as a program uh, that, that needs to be looked at? This, this, as I already said, it's something, it is also bigger than Medicaid. There would be cuts to um, veterans healthcare. And just generally when you're threatening the program overall, the last week, the um, Health and Human Services Agency said that 21 million people would be at risk of losing their healthcare. So whether you're covered by Medicaid or not, there's additional risks because of the overall um, threats included in this legislation. So really sorry to be here to talk about such such stressful news, but um, glad to be here to, to raise the alarm because it is a really important time for us to be talking about these issues and making sure that that um, that we can stop it from getting anywhere in the Senate and beyond and also remind folks that they should stop coming. So what happens next? The House just passed this bill, but what happens next? And keep in mind, we know that we're going to hit default sometime in the next couple months, they think? Yes. And, and actually, I just saw um, in my email that that um, Secretary Yellen said it could be even June. Um, so we're kind of all figuring out what the what the timeline is. But the bottom line is, is that we have to fight against this moving forward. And so what the what's next is that we have to make sure that the Senate doesn't see this as something that's worth looking at at all. Um, in 2017, when even larger cuts were proposed to Medicaid and obviously huge gutting of the Affordable Care Act um, and paying for it with that gutting of Medicaid, um, they went too far. And we're hoping that that's what they did here so that we were hearing from Leader Schumer that Democrats are going to stand united against the proposals included in that legislation, which because they have the majority should mean that there isn't a path forward. President Biden has also been really clear that Obviously, that, so, that um, cuts to Medicare and Social Security are off the table, but he's also been clear also that that includes Medicaid. So hopefully in the Senate, it won't even get a conversation and they, we can move more to a conversation about getting through the debt ceiling conversation without any sort of cuts to discretionary spending, including Medicaid and other health. So if someone's listening right now 
What can or should they be doing to make sure that uh, these terrible cuts to our health care don't happen? Yes, everyone should be reaching out to their legislators, especially senators at this point, because it will be moving to the Senate for consideration, letting them know about the needs for care that you have. Everybody has a care story. Everybody has an access need or has a family member who has an access need. You don't have to be an expert on these policies or know what funds what, but you do need to know that Medicaid is an incredibly important insurer um, for this country and that generally that we need to be in investing in not cutting healthcare spending. That simple message along with the story of, of, of why it matters to you as a constituent is what we need to be raising so that A, they know that they need to keep their hands off and B, we know that everyone knows that we're going to be coming back and asking for more. And does it make sense? uh, So right now, the key thing is contact your senators. But does it also make sense to contact your representative, especially if they voted for this bill and make sure that they're really aware of how this would affect their constituents, uh, you know, yourself? Yes. Um, Thank you, Laura, for raising that. That's incredibly important because, again, we're going to be coming back for more investment. So even whether it's right after you're done contacting your senator, contact your representative, definitely take a look and see how they voted. Um, Democrats, there were no Democrats that voted for the bill um, there, but there were 219 uh, Republicans who did. Um, we can make sure that uh, that the list is available and and make sure that they know that, you know, it was really frustrating because a lot of the attention that was being made to kind of last minute deals to get the votes to make the bill pass, they were focusing on things like um, ethanol and, and, um, and other pieces that, sure, I'm have an impact on the livelihood of some people, but we have to make sure that we're, you're also reaching out to your representatives so that they know that that Medicaid and access to health care is also an, an issue that has a constituency that is going to keep coming back and keep coming. Back. And can you tell us a little bit more about Caring Across Generations and how people can get involved in your work? Sure. Um, our website is caringacross.org. Um, and we really focus on, uh, we lead the the Care Can't Wait Coalition at the federal level. So work on combining the, the need for aging and disability care with childcare and paid leave and, and the idea of a care infrastructure that this country so desperately needs, um, including obviously uh, basic health care. And we focus on doing that through policy change, through coalition building and through culture change, because we really know that um, whether it's health care or long-term care or other care needs, that those are not something that are individual responsibilities. That these are that these are issues that need collective solutions and 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 government solutions to solve. And so that's really we focus on also the culture change to make sure that everybody sees that care is something that we all have. And people should be paying attention to the news too as this fight continues because uh, the House just passed something, uh, but uh, the House and the Senate and the President all need to come together. So we don't know what's going to happen, and that's why your voice is so important to be heard. That contact your senators, your representative, make sure they hear from you. Don't cut our health care. So thank you very much for joining us today, Nicole. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please keep calling and texting in your questions, and we will get you answers in future episodes. And also, 
take the time now to contact your senators, contact your representative. Uh, they need to hear from you as they are debating important changes to our healthcare system amongst other things. So uh, they need to hear from you. Uh, and especially if they voted uh, to cut our care, they need to hear from you why that is bad and why you don't want them to do it again. Because this this issue is not over. This, uh, this crisis is going to continue for the next couple months. So now is when your legislators need to be hearing from you. And uh, we're always glad to hear from you at Care Talk. Please keep calling and texting in your questions and we'll get you answers in future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.